Welcome to the Spoiler Alert podcast, and today we will be reviewing Willow with a special guest, Caitlin Nod. Hi, thank you for letting me be on here and talk about Willow, one of my all-time favorite movies. I'm honored. So, Caitlin, talk to us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your dogs. Well, uh, my name is Caitlin. I'm 25. Um, I would consider myself to be an old soul, mainly because my all-time favorite movies shows are all pretty much from like the 80s um hence willow um being one of my all-time favorites my dogs um this is plum and then we have pupper over here chihuahua pug chihuahua mix they also enjoy 80s movies watching the 80s movies with me so nice very very cool well before we get started i'd just like to point out to everybody to Hit the like button, subscribe, hit the bell, uh, follow us on Instagram and Twitter and Spotify and wherever uh, podcasts can be found. So Willow was this movie from, the, from 1988 that was directed by Ron Howard and produced by George Lucas. It's kind of like off the successes of Indiana Jones and Star Wars that, you know, George Lucas kind of propped this movie up to be the next big thing. It has a very large cult following, people like Caitlin. (laughs) To me, like it kind of is like uh, almost like Princess Bride, where a lot of people talk about how much they love Princess Bride uh, from the 80s, just because like they saw it, like, you know, and just fell in love with it immediately. Uh, So how did you like fall in love with the movie Willow? Watching 80s movies, um, for example, like The Labyrinth and stuff like that, you know, Dark Crystal, all those, you know, great classics, you know, during this time period, and you've even said this yourself, during this time period, a lot of these movies were just being kind of just spit out here and there. And I think Willow being a prime example of what I would consider an 80s classic. Um, It just kind of hits all the key points. There's action in there, there's gore in there, there's romance in there. For me, like, that's kind of what I look for in movies, which is, it's kind of hard to hit all those key points um, to, to keep the interest going. But with all of those movies that were being spit out at the same time, I don't think Willow, and we did talk about this, got as much recognition as it should have. Mm-hmm. Now, if this movie were to come out you know had come out before the others you know I think it would have gotten a lot more recognition there were supposed to be sequels and actually if you look um I believe there's two or three books right is it I think so and the Willow Disney plus tv show is actually coming out later this year yep yeah and well of course I'm looking forward to that especially that relationship too with you know it helped a lot having that relationship with um, George Lucas because at 11 years old I mean Warwick Davis or Willow he was already in Star Wars starring as an Ewok so he built that relationship with George Lucas so that at the age of 17 you know they had been talking about munchkins I believe was Mm -hmm. going to be the name of Willow and then they ended up um couple years obviously later going on he was 17 I believe when Willow was filmed um but and it also I think you know little people were not you know really in movies you know back then as they you know kind of are now here and there but I mean it's, it's great I love it which is another huge reason why I 
love and respect Willow so much. The film begins with a prophecy of that a child will be born and would lead to the downfall of the evil queen Bavmorda, which is kind of like Jesus themes right away, which <laughs> the child is born in like a prison that the queen put all like the pregnant ladies in and yeah. then they and then they found the mark on the inside of its arm that uh matches with the prophecy. So they snuck her out of the castle and sent her down a river like Moses, which is, you know, another one right off the bat, right off the bat. Two, two, two religious themes that just, you know, fucks with people like me. <laughs> yeah, well, coming from a non-religious background, um, I even know that, yeah, that's, that sounds, yeah, it's, it's, it's eerily similar. <laughs> You're just, I pay attention to those things sometimes. Well, if you think about it, uh, you know, maybe not necessarily Ron Howard as much as George Lucas for sure is into the more of the fantasy realm of filmmaking his ideas are very much so fantasy they're not really too much based on realism or you know fact it's kind of that sci-fi fiction type of you know so to see those little bitty you know biblical things pop in here and there I almost feel as though George Lucas is kind of poking fun here and there at it oh yeah well I even so I don't know I feel like a lot of artists just use religious themes into their work whether they're religious or not but then so the baby's mother ends up dying because the baby got away uh but at the end of the river we're in a village full of Nelwins who are little people it's just you know a village their own community they kind of just do do their own thing and then Willow is played by Warwick Davis, who we spoke of a little bit ago. Willow's children find the baby and takes it in and kind of like cares for it for a couple of days. Like shortly after that, like a big, like attack, like an attack on the, on the village by these kind of like wolves that have rat tails type of things. Wait, and Those are real dogs in costumes. Am I right? I would think so. Yeah. I think they, I think they threw some like shade carpet on it. but but those those things are kind of cool i like uh yeah and 80s it definitely has an aesthetic that's like you know like a like a cool kind of creepy yes where yes that we've talked about like dark crystal and stuff nowadays cgi versus back in the day it was actual people in suits which is my personal preference Mm mm-hmm I think the more you can do practically, the better too. Uh, they decide that, you know, let's let's turn in this baby and see what the council thinks and this and that. So they take it to the they take it to a sorcerer in the town who uh, ends up enlisting Willow to return the baby where it or to the how do they what do they call humans? Daikinis. So essentially the high Eldwin, high elder, high Eldwin, um, tells him, you know, he consults the bones and the bones say nothing. <laughs> but he essentially says, yeah, you're going to have to take this Daikini baby to the um, uh, Daikini crossroads, I believe. Um, and uh, essentially give the baby to the, the first Daikini they come across, which happens to be Val Kilmer, aka Mad Mortigan, mm-hmm. which is 
comes into play. They enlist like a couple other like a couple other people to help go with go with them on this this journey to a couple of warriors. One of the like one asshole that is like verbal cut. That yes, he's he he's like Willow's <laughs> landlord kind of sorta, and <laughs> just it's always just giving him shit, <laughs> and just just an asshole. But they roll, uh, they come up across this, you know, this warrior, like, or not, I guess I can't tell he's a warrior, but Val Kilmer in a cage. Yeah. Bird um, cage. In, a, in a bird cage. Yep. Bird cage. And then <laughs> we figure out later that Kilmer's character is named Mad Mardigan. So we'll call him Mad Mardigan. But he uh, is just like trying to negotiate for water and like, Hey, I'll take the baby the rest of the way if you just give me some water or let me out, and this and that and this and that. To which I was a little confused with how this scene ended up. Well, I guess I wasn't confused, but I was like, I understand kind of where you're getting at there. I mean, I I actually had uh, my boyfriend uh, last night was watching it with me to kind of get a fresh perspective. He had never seen the movie before, mm. so with first time uh, watcher of the movie he had even mentioned as well um that that scene was a little it could have did a lot more with it it was a tad bit confusing i guess the scene served to get willow just kind of alone um or separate from the rest of the company that went with him because willow decided that no i don't want to have Mad Mardigan take the baby no matter what like we should just take the baby and then his companions decided ah fuck Willow and then they walked away but then Willow ended up setting Mad Mardigan free anyway and letting him take the baby anyway so it's kind of unnecessary to separate from there but like I get why they want to find a place to do that in the movie yeah the the next scene was pretty much the baby was taken away by a hawk by the brownies anyway so (laughs) and not only that but it was a very it was a big missed opportunity I was kind of looking back that would have been a prime opportunity for us to get kind of a backstory of Mad Mardigan because they really kind of hopped over that okay he's a he's a rogue guy who he doesn't serve you know, at one point he was a part of this big, you know, the greatest swordsman that ever lived. He was a part of this big army. Now all of a sudden he went rogue and he listens to no one. He serves no one. That's pretty much all we got out of that. And I bet that's going to be something that's drawn out more in the show and probably the, you know, the books and things like that. I haven't read any of the books, but it's probably something they can dig into more in a, in the form of a show. like. This, this kind of seems like a movie that's probably a, in a better form for like hour long episodes, like 10 episode seasons kind of thing. Well, and you know, I did a little research um, on one of the books. So I, I, I guess the gist of the book that I read was essentially um, all about Alora Dan, the, the baby growing up and what effect uh, what influence Willow had on her. She ended up growing up to be like this awesome warrior who's great with a sword. And, you know, she, she, it really just kind of goes into and really talks about how much of an influence Willow had on her. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited to see that. 
Yeah. And to see like what she becomes, because like, she's supposed to, you know, obviously be like a prophecy, like kind of, so. Well, being raised by Sorsha and Mad Morgan too. Right. Like you were saying, it got, the baby got snatched by a hawk that brownies were riding and brownies are these really, really tiny people that are probably like an inch or two tall. Uh, and they're pretty funny. Like they they're kind of seen as like pests, but like they're, you know, they're still kind of a part of the crew at the end of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Again, I, I don't know why they had the French accent and how their names were Frenchie and Raoul. They're good uh, comedic relief throughout the movie. This is a point where I want to bring up ILM, Industrial Light and Magic, George Lucas's special effects company that okay. he started back with Star Wars and you know you did it with Indiana Jones and all kinds of movies have you have been done with ILM including this one where you know it kind of looks cheesy at this point in time but the late 80s to the early 90s was on like sort of like a transition period of having like ambitious but cheesy visual effects into just straight up good special effects or the good visual effects because like you had like the abyss I think also came out in 1988 that really like led to Terminator 2 which was a big visual effects you know milestone type of movie and then into Jurassic Park and so on Fun fact, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not sure if you knew this or not, but the actual, um, the, 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 the sounds, the actual music they'd used in Willow, you can actually hear that opening scene of music from Jurassic Park uses a lot of the, the, the soundtrack really? of Willow. Really? I was going to say something like, like, I didn't think of that specifically, but the composers, the composer of Willow is James Horner who's yeah. done stuff like Titanic, uh, a bunch of James Cameron stuff. And then obviously the composer of Jurassic Park is John Williams, who has done almost every great soundtrack you can think of. But there was definitely similarities. It definitely sounded, it almost sounded like James Horner was doing his best John Williams in this movie. Yeah. Uh, So that actually makes sense to me. I didn't put that, I didn't know that specifically, but that did make sense, that makes sense. And then it turns out that the brownies were actually sent by uh, a fairy queen, like kind of a good queen named uh, Sherlindria. He is told by um, Sherlindria that go find Rizal. She's been banished to this island by uh, Bad Morta. And once you find her, take my wand and transform her back into her human form. Because as we find out, when Willow gets to this island, she is like a golden possum. She is this adorable little muskrat. It ends up taking Willow quite some time. All to... the way up until the end, pretty much. <laughs> to get that, <laughs> get that spell figured out. He, in his defense, though, he does make it very clear that he is a farmer and a training sorcerer. He's like, I, he's like, you know, I'm not qualified for this shit, but I'll give it my best shot. On the trail, they, it ends up raining and they go to a pub to 
find shelter and that's where they reconnect with mad martigan who is kind of being a bit of a house house wrecker uh with uh trying to disguise himself by like dressing up as a woman and then that's when uh sorsha who is like a badass like general of the bad kind of army because she's she's actually bev morta's daughter yes uh shows up and then they kind of have like you can immediately tell that mad martigan's into her and then there's a big uh horse and cart chase it was a pretty exciting chase and you know kind of had the same kind of george lucas or steven spielberg flair uh that ron howard brought to this one uh so it was it was pretty it was a pretty exciting point in the movie as when the wheels start like breaking off and it, that was i i honestly loved that part for some reason i just the effects of the wheels you know going around and just you know breaking and snapping off and you know the bumps in the road they did a very good job once they get to the location and find Rizelle, who like you said is a muskrat almost immediately after the army shows up again and it's clear that mad martigan like sold them out to save his own skin uh, but then they were like, oh, we probably get them anyway. <laughs> yeah. Which again, they don't really go too much into detail about his backstory. So I was not expecting him to sell them out or, or anything like that, because we know that he's this rogue warrior guy, but we don't know just how bad of an individual that he is. And then we get little tidbits here and there of, oh, he sold him out, or, you know, he's feeding a baby black root, which I can only assume is something that's horrible to give a, a newborn baby, but he's just letting it chew on it. I don't know, you know? Probably like the equivalent of a cigarette or something. Yeah. So at this point, some of my notes are that, like, you know, Will and them are captured. Uh, there's more and more sexual tension between Mad Martigan and uh sorsha at this point due to that um, whole what is it um, the dust of broken hearts that he gets from the, the brownies get from the fairies because they smack him in the face with it and then it just poofs in his face and then all of a sudden he's just head over heels in love for sorsha you know because yeah. for a while he actually looked high too <laughs> like he didn't oh, look yeah. like it was just a love potion <laughs> Well, and that's, again, that there, there's certainly missed um, explanations because, for example, Raul gets hit with the, the dust of broken hearts and he falls for that cat at the pub, but then it quickly wears off. But for some reason, you know, you, you get a little bit of, you know, explanation as far as Mad Martigan that wears off and then all of a sudden he's still kind of head over heels for her. So... Oh, maybe the brownie is still in love with the cat and going to come back for it at some point. I mean, he did say he he liked their whiskers, so could be in the next, you know. Are all those characters still alive? Are they all still around? Val Kilmerez, which more than likely would be voiced by, again, his son, as we're yeah. seeing in the Top Gun Maverick movie. He He's acting in it, but his son is voicing, you know, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the whole cast is going to end up being, but I just know Warwick Davis is in it, and I think some of his family are in it. Um, okay. Could be other like Nelwins. 
Uh, at this point, Willow tries to bring uh, Roselle back and turns her into a raven. So that, you know, was kind of like a fail. Yeah, so after Mad Mardigan gets high on the love dust again, he goes and kind of rescues, you know, Willow and kind of breaks out and get they get the baby back again, basically. Uh, and then they go sledding down a, a hill, which kind of, like, in a good way, felt like, in Indiana Jones, nice like transition scene where you it was know. a great. I thoroughly enjoyed that scene, and you know at the at the end where Mad Mardigan kind of falls off the sled and turns into that big rolling ball of snow. Again, great typical '80s type of you know effects going on there. I I loved it. I thought it was hysterical. In that whole like fray, there's also like a bit of a battle going on where. Uh, Mad Mardigan meets up again with an old co comrade who is like leading an army that got slaughtered earlier in the movie when he was still in the cage. When they all start attacking, that's kind of their window to rush out with the baby and they escape with Alora. And then soon after that, they arrive a, at an abandoned castle called Tir Aslin. Tir Aslin. Tir Aslin. Your ass lane, Tears yeah, lane. Yeah, at that funny. time, uh, there's signs of trolls, and at this point, too, Willow turns uh, Roselle into a goat. In that scene, you know, at the very beginning, when the high elven gives Willow those acorns that are supposedly supposed to oh, yeah. turn, <laughs> turn anything into stone, right? There is nothing that made me more angry than I thought there was going to be a bigger, a you bigger, those? yes, because, you know, you, you get him dropping one of them on the boardwalk and the board turns to stone and then boom, that's short lived. Later on, you'll see he uses the other acorn one more time and again, short lived turns you know it's it's thrown grabbed turned to dust doesn't take much effect yeah yeah Anger. there's like there's, <laughs> there's a theory in like film and plays called i believe it i think it's chekhov's gun maybe it's someone else's gun it's like a russian person's gun where um it's just like a like a film theory thing where you don't introduce something new to a movie or a show or a, a script um, unless something's going to be used so in a movie yeah. or a play if a gun is introduced in that movie that gun's going to be used at some point I, so I agree with you there that's one of that's that's another one of my kind of criticisms that like add up a little bit where it's like nothing really came out of that <laughs> like it's yeah, just I mean, yeah high, when Eldwin gives you something you're you're under the impression that ooh, that's gonna come into play at some point in this movie and it's really gonna you know just knock our socks off complete complete opposite totally just could have cut those scenes out it's honestly. like life advice when you're a kid like it sounds <laughs> great you're gonna use it and then when yep. it's time to use it it's like oh shit no Life doesn't work like that. <laughs> oh, yep, exactly. There so were, maybe, there maybe they were on to something, but no, we should have, yep. something cooler could have happened with that. 
I saw there was a deleted scene when Willow was actually heading to that um, island to get Razelle. Uh, I guess it consisted of him being on that boat and then halfway there he encounters a, a bald man with shark teeth and uh, he turns into a giant fish that tries to attack him on the boat and of course it, it was a deleted scene because um, even the directors were like this is just outrageous and just isn't needed but yet the acorn scenes were left in yeah yeah, I, I just wish there was a better, yeah, I wish there was a better outcome to it. Just like Kale's army attacks and Kale is like the badass general that, you know, kind of worked next to and with Sorsha. Uh, he wears like a skull helmet. So, you know, a bunch, bunch of the queen's soldiers are attacking in, into the uh, Turrisline. And I get a uh, very the barbarian vibe from Kale. I don't know why. Yeah, I mean, it's like, looking, it's like though, the, the Barbarian kind of stuff, yeah. And it's this part of the movie where Sorsha flip sides and, and betrays her mother and is kind of like now like fucking with Willow and Mad Mardigan. <laughs> Which again is one of those things where the movie was, how long was the movie? Do you know the exact? Two, two hours and six minutes. You know, I feel like it could have been maybe two and a half hours. That's what I was thinking too. But like, that's like the tricky thing and why for the longest time, it was really hard to make movies in the 80s. Well, the budget movie was what? Was it 35 million? Yep, it was 30. Yeah, I, I was on the Wikipedia too. <laughs> it was it was 35. <laughs> it, made, it made about like 165, which wasn't as much as they were hoping but right. it still made its money back. But like in the eighties, no one had really made a hands down, like all time great fantasy movie that everyone can like agree on kind of thing. That's like critically acclaimed and audience audiences rushed in. You know what I mean? Fantasy was always like riskier to do because there's also so much backstory in fantasy fiction. There's a lot of different characters and all of them. So that's why like Lord of the Rings didn't get done until the early 2000s because like Willow. Same place though, New Zealand. Yep, they filmed a lot in New Zealand. The Willow, they actually said, was essentially shot all over the place. I mean, I, it was New Zealand. I mean, it was, I forget if it was Australia as well, but just all over the map. Um, the, the same areas that they filmed, like Indiana Jones and certain studios that were just everywhere. Uh, it, I, I got a very Lord of the Rings vibe from Willow. It was shocking that they were able to condense that movie down to only two hours and six minutes. That actually shocks me that it wasn't closer to two hours and 30 minutes. I mean, even in those roughly 20 extra more, 25 extra more minutes, they, they could have accomplished a lot. Yeah, and, and that's that's what I'm saying is I think Lord of the Rings and like, the new Dune have more of an advantage than their 80s counterparts because in the 80s, the studios would be like dead set on, okay, it's two hours because people aren't going to watch it if it's too long. The fallacy to that is if they have to condense it and rush things, it's not going to be quite as good as it could have been. Like Game of Thrones. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so... 
you may as well just have like a three hour movie that's that's like the way it should be and have some people not go see it because they don't want to watch it for three hours but it worked for lord of the rings they made plenty of money they're still making money on that i mean i i own every single lord of the rings and hobbit movies um in and like i said i i would have much rather preferred willow to have been longer and i think even though back in the 80s there were so many being spit out of these sci-fi fantasy type of like legend for example all, all these movies labyrinth um i think crawl as well k-r-u-l-l was also released during this time all movies that were being spit out and willow had that opportunity to be bigger than it actually was but it, it is what it is now there's nothing we can do but i still watch willow all the time and think it's fantastic so yeah. that's the beauty of movies um so getting back into the movie willow ends up turning a, or trying to cast a spell on a troll but again he's just a fucking farmer just kind of ha- just kind of faking it till he makes it about this whole sorcerer thing so he ends up turning a troll into like this big like monster that they call the Ebersisk. The reason they call it the Ebersisk is because of Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel. Uh, because both of those guys didn't like the movie. Ale was named after another critic of the movie as well. Oh, is it Pauline Kale? Oh, that makes sense. Yep. They, they, the thing that's is, though, is those the, are critics the- that I really respect. <laughs> especially pauline kale it is what it is maybe one day myself and dakota are going to be big enough at this that we're not going to like a fantasy movie someday and they're going to name creatures in that movie after us i'm making that as a personal goal well troll was even named after me i would die happy with that so like with that. <laughs> yeah but the Ebersisk basically is like a two-headed kind of dragon monster slash like worm thing. A dinosaur mixed with a, God, what do they call that in uh, ancient Greek mythology that, you know. Hydra. It's a hydra. Yes. And then Med, Med Mardigan ends up killing and ends up killing it. Turns out you only have to like kill one of them to kill both of them. Again, something I think that was definitely a, a, a crime scene, action scene that I've seen that was, they misused the, the, the time they had with that. They, they could have done a lot more with that, like something cooler, but again, time restraints, stuff like I, that. Instead of like making it like an accidental thing that Willow does where he like turns a troll into a monster, it might might be cooler if it's like a monster that like the evil queen summons from like the depths of hell or some shit to add like, like a little more, you know, danger, a little more suspense to it rather than it's just, you know, accident will, accident. That scene where he turns it accidentally into this ball of steaming hair that gets that was ripped. Pretty cool. <laughs> pretty cool it's a very 80s I mean even for the 80s I think that was graphically executed beautifully I I really thought that was I caught myself the other day watching it going like wow that was cool like you know I I like that type of gory stuff and 
I thought that was awesome. So I thought it was special when he kicked it. <laughs> he just he's just like fuck that shit. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe no one will notice. Yeah. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. At the end of all of that, Kale does capture Alora again and takes her to a castle where the queen is preparing a ceremony to exile her soul from the earth and you know make make sure that the baby can't come back and threaten her uh her hold on the throne eric who was like the kind of scandinavian looking dude that was you know the colleague of mad mardigan his army kind of is helping out you know willow and mad mardigan and they they're kind of planning a siege and he Uh, is eventually killed by kale Yes, he's he's killed by Kale at, by the end of all of it, and but before that happens, when they're preparing the siege, uh, Bavmorda, she turns them all into pigs, which is another great scene. <laughs> yeah, and the only thing that really saves Willow from that is that uh, Roselle kind of takes him into a tent and tells him to say a spell that kind of protects him for a while. Yep, and then. He goes through like a whole, and then she's like, all right, now you're really going to fucking change me back to my normal form. And yeah, <laughs> he, he ends up like taking her through like 10 different animals, animals and different species uh, until they finally get to Rizelle's kind of humanoid form. And she's a lot older than she thought she would look because she, she apparently got like transformed when she was like a young woman and then all her, it all went to hell. a beautiful woman and then mad morgan goes transformer willow come on let's go and yeah i mean she looks like everyone's grandma who's been through hell smoked two packs of cigarettes a day and seen some shit in her day which makes sense they bring the pigs in one by one and make them back into normal but they're hiding them in the tents and then come morning, it's pretty much, I think it's just Willow, Roselle, and like the brownies or something were uh, kind of walking onto the castle and challenging them. And, uh, and then when their gates open and they rushed out with their horses, their cavalry to take them out, that's when they like surprise attacked since the gates are open. They were high, like they hid like all their people like under these you know, holes in the ground that they covered up so they can rush into the castle. And- yeah, Willow constructed this this ingenious idea that he had gophers back home at the village and, you know, he could dig these holes under these these fallen tarps and all that, fun, which is honestly brilliant. I'm sure they did actually use tactics like that back in the day. And then there's some intercutting between a scene kind of in the ceremony room where the baby is and they're about to they're putting like the potion together it requires like blood and hair and shit and um there Roselle and Sorsha are trying to you know take out the queen and then elsewhere Eric is killed by Kale and then Mardigan is fighting Kale both Roselle and Sorsha are like stopped and sort of beaten by um Bavmorda. So it's all up to Willow now. But elsewhere, Mad Mardigan kills Kale. So that's good. The top general's doubt. The scene here 
uh, is actually kind of a callback to a scene that we didn't really mention from the first part of the movie. You know, Willow's trying to be this sorcerer, right? So during like, you know, like this like town village get together, he does a disappearing trick with a pig in his home village. Watching the beginning half of the movie when they're having that festival, which oddly enough reminds me a lot of the Bristol Renaissance Fair. <laughs> um, but he does that uh, disappearing pig trick where he puts a blanket over that piglet and he says a little enchantment and then he pulls the blanket off and the pig's gone, ends up squealing, comes running out from underneath the table, haha, you know, kind of gets thrown back into his face. But again, later on at the end, yeah, he, he, puts a Laura Dannon somewhere else, but then he ends up, you know, faking putting a baby under this blanket, tells her I'm a great sorcerer. Um, I'll, I'll banish her to a place where evil can't touch her, does the same thing, boom, it works. And uh, yeah, again, back to the misusage of the acorn thing. I mean, that could have totally been cut out, but she does get clumsy. Yeah, I mean, she just mm. goes, backs up, hits herself into the altar and then just gets zapped up perfect timing when the baby was supposed to be in there at that point in time and she just happened to back up into the altar at the perfect time I don't really know I wish there would have been more context to that and it also looks like throughout the uh ritual she's deteriorating more and more I don't know maybe the baby's maybe Alora's presence causes her to decay or something you know what I mean that's why she needed to do that like, ritual yeah like even like as soon as it got born as the movie goes on we kind of see her she looks older and older and older you know so that or might be the ritual was taking that much out of her I could be. I, I wish it would have been explained again that, 25 I, minutes these, have these are things that a tv show can solve though so correct I do have hope. I do, you know, I, I have some hope for that. So then we kind of get to the resolution of the whole thing. Um, Mad Mardigan and Sorsha end up taking care of Alora. Willow returns home to his family. And basically everyone there is hyped to see him, except for the fucking asshole landlord who gets like bird shit on him. Yeah. Uh, and then and then that's kind of the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, he he home and is you know praised as this great I don't want to say warrior but he, he's praised as a hero, a hero. looking back I, if I was like the writer like the script guy I would have had Willow look at the sorcerer guy and say like can I be your apprentice now or how about now you know that would have been a cooler thing to go back to than like the landlord shtick again and again and again the next things we usually break down in each of these episodes are uh place in society we kind of went through that where it's you know sort of a you know kind of a cult classic now sort of like you know how like a lot of people really love you know like we were talking about never-ending story and princess bride a lot of people really like willow in the same way and yeah. um, where it's just a very lovable movie it's not a perfect movie but it's lovable as hobbit and lord of the rings i mean especially uh, like the hobbit you know, he, the main character is just this regular guy who gets approached by Gandalf, really has no interest in doing this stuff, but he kind of gets thrown in, ends up doing great, similar to Willow. It's a very uh, specific demographic of people like me 
who love these type of sci-fi to fantasy type of adventurous movies with, you know, orcs and trolls and dragons and, you know, people who like Game of Thrones. The reason Game of Thrones does so well is because, well, did very well until the last two seasons. But you, you, we have a lot of people in today's society that certain demographic is raising day by day. You know, it's not just people who like Dungeons and Dragons, you know, these people like me are out there that thoroughly enjoy those. I love, you know, the, the dragons. I love the, the, the olden day castles and the aesthetic is the adventure, the landscape, like New Zealand is a beautiful place to film. And the fact that we know that these are real places that were not CGI, you know, is, is great. And it, the soundtrack has a lot to do with it too. It's, it's very, adventurous and exciting and it, it it catches you know it catches the eye it catches the ears it's just aesthetically um and audio it's just appealing and it, it's great some people like gore some people like action a good portion um even to this day from the 80s to now the 2000 2020 you know we love sci-fi fantasy you know we we love it we 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 expect the type of things from the 80s to kind of be transitioned now over to movies these days but it's I haven't really found other than maybe The Hobbit and even then CGI has kind of really taken over you, you don't see like in The Lord of the Rings where it's actual men and women in suits why I prefer Lord of the Rings over The Hobbit because it just turned into this huge CGI fiasco, which I don't personally find aesthetically pleasing anymore. But Hobbit, it's too much CGI versus Willow, actual people in costumes. And I think a lot of people even today really love that type of stuff. Yeah, there's a little more humanity to it, a little more of an aesthetic. And even in like Lord of the Rings, when you Movie. see like the when you see like the big landscapes and the castles and stuff, those are all miniatures. So they're, yeah. they're like models that, you know, they layer, they definitely layer the, like the film itself, but like those are actual, like that's an actual kind of, you know, most of those, even the landscapes are actual. That's, that was all claymation, I don't want to say claymation, but it was all made of clay. And I, I love claymation too. Like, I, if you go back to, if you go back to like old, like, like, you know, like Wrath of Titan, Wrath of the Titans and Clash of the Titans, um, but oh, like yeah. the older like claymation ones, those movies are funny and like, maybe it's a little condescending to say, but like in like, <laughs> but like they're funny, like in their, in their own way and they're, they're just cool. Like it's yeah. just cool to watch. Stranger Things, for example, when you, I, I think, and I'm sure you've seen the latest season that came out with Vecna, mm -hmm. crazy, cool sci-fi character. The reason that that character is doing so well and is just such a hit with everybody is because it's an actual guy in a suit. They're really hitting home with the, the, the graphics and everything. And realistically, maybe the only CGI that they're using is the background. It's an actual guy in the suit. Yeah. The, the special effects team did an incredible job on it. Hence why 
it's doing so well. It's such a big hit with people. You don't really see a lot of that anymore. And that's what people like to see. I mean, you can just tell it's, it's, it, it's hitting that demographic exactly. and you saw that exploded. I mean, overnight it exploded. I think, I think you're right about that. I don't know. I haven't delved in too much of the, uh, the making of that, but of that show, but I, I do, I have found that when it comes to the individual characters, like if they can, they're gonna, they're gonna have as much real as they, they think as they can get away with. More and more that these producers and writers and directors, um, I, I personally, I think that they're, they're slowly learning again what the real demographic is and what's, what are really big hits and what, what, what aren't. Um, prime example, Lord of the Rings was an, a massive hit. Nowadays, I think what people really want out of a, a good movie they want a really good storyline. They, they enjoy the, the less CGI. I mean, don't get me wrong, CGI is great. It's cool, mm. but it's, it takes away the, the realism. And I think some of the best fantasy writing at, like ends up going to TV shows nowadays. Yeah. Because when it comes to movies, like, like Hollywood and stuff, like there's way more at stake in having like a premiere and stuff like that like your first weekend can make or break a movie financially because like willow for example they didn't make as much money as they wanted to uh because they kind of had a, a fairly competitive uh opening weekend i think they went against big if you have like the biggest budget of that group, but like only come in like third in box office opening week, then what happens is they pull at, they pull marketing. They don't, they don't spend as much on marketing. And then it's, you're just going to slowly see it decline from there. Uh, I think Willow's done great in DVD sales and oh, God. Home, that kind of I, thing. I own two DVDs of Willow <laughs> and they're the same DVD. I just wanted two copies of it. We already brought up a couple, but if you liked Willow, what's something else you might like, Caitlin? Uh, Labyrinth, Dark Crystal, um, Crawl, jeez, uh, uh, well, Lord of the Rings, um, Legend with Tom Cruise. Uh, let's see here. I'm going to throw in Never Ending Story. I own, I own them all. Yep, Never Ending Story. I mean, it, uh, the, the story was directed by Ron Howard and... You know, George Lucas, of course, Star Wars. I mean, me personally, George Lucas holds a very deep place, a very big place in my heart because I don't think I've ever watched a George Lucas film and not absolutely fallen in love with it. So I would recommend any of those movies I previously mentioned or really anything uh, written, directed by Ron Howard or more importantly, George Lucas he is a visionary and the way that he is able to write things down on paper and then convey them into film and make them just works of art to me personally is is a gift like um steven spielberg is able to do it beautifully as well just artistic film geniuses yeah and now it comes to our ratings. 
between one and five stars, Caitlin, what do you give Willow? Well, for as much as I love the film, um, I do have some critiques as we've all heard here. Um, there are definitely some changes I would have made or would have liked to have seen. I love the storyline. I love the romance. It hit, it, hit the, it hit the points, like the bullet points of romance, gore, action, uh, the graphics in there. I would give it probably on a one to five, 4.5. Well, I'll do four. I'll do four. Okay. Okay. I would give it a 4.5 if they would have cut the certain scenes out and I probably would have given it a five if they would have extended to the two and a half hour mark and explained certain things a little bit better. So for me, Willow is not a movie I watched until literally actually quarantine. Because <laughs> I was like, fell asleep watch watching Willow for years upon years. Fun fact, um, me and an ex-boyfriend of mine um, we were we were so enthralled with Willow that we had even began talking about if we had had a daughter, we would have named her Alora Dannon. So how important and how much I loved that this movie. That's awesome. But yeah, yeah. for uh, for me, like I didn't watch it until I was already like, you know, old, old and like kind of like had a critical eye towards it. So like, it didn't really catch me, like even maybe, you know, even as much as like, you know, the never ending stories and, you know, even some of the other 80s ones that did catch me at that younger age. But I also want to recognize things wow. that could have simply been better had they been given the opportunities, like, you know, like a three hour runtime or, just you know all kinds of the things that we've been talking about I, I do think there's a you know a little bit of cliche and a little bit of a little bit of not connected dots like we talked about with the acorns and just certain things uh so I think I was I think I was bouncing between a couple of ratings but I think I'm pretty much settled on like three stars for me uh where it's good but I feel like there's it, I feel like it could have been better either like if it was made a decade later, but then it wouldn't maybe have the same 80s feel to it. So it's tricky. I mean, if they would have come out with and released the movie in the 90s, kind of like Lord of the Rings, you know what I mean? Lord I, of the I, Rings I, really I, did hit the sweet spot where they they waited and then they got the runtime and they got the actors that they wanted and just yeah. everything kind of hit the mark. And then I just feel like with this, whether it was in the control of the creators or not, there was just some things that didn't hit the mark. And, you know, I will say too, just as like an ending, you know, Lord of the Rings took, God, years. And for them to accomplish what they did, you know, mm -hmm. certain, it, it is pretty telling. It, it's kind of impressive with certain movies, what they can accomplish with less time versus, you know, obviously nothing. I don't, ever going to beat lord of the rings quite mm. on yeah that, that's a pretty that's a pretty tough that that's a pretty tough comparison Willow, like the 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 shitty nephew to lord of the rings <laughs> willow 
Okay, you know what Willow is? They're the first pancake you make. First one, first one always comes out a little wrinkly, a little crappy. Yeah. You can still eat it. It still tastes like a pancake. But you know, it's just not Lord of the Rings is probably like the third or fourth pancake that's just smacks. Like, like you're correct. You are absolutely correct. On that note, I want to thank you again, Caitlin, for coming by the spoiler alert podcast you're definitely welcome in the future uh i'd like to tell everybody at home whether they're listening on a podcast or if they're watching the video on youtube i recommend to check out both send likes tell your friends uh tell your friends that are really into movies about us uh, we also have a patreon so fork over some money if you want uh <laughs> and then uh but have a good day everybody anything else to say to the, to the good people at home caitlin yeah, you know, um, I want to say thank you to you, Nate, for allowing me to come on and, you know, talk about Willow. It, it, it I feel like I can die happy now. Um, please subscribe, like, comment, subscribe to uh, Nate's channel here. Um, I've watched quite a few of his videos. He's very talented, uh, very articulate with his, um, you know, uh, constructive criticisms of the movies and, you uh, I, I would highly, I, I'm a subscriber as well. So I highly recommend it to anybody out there. Thank you, Caitlin. Thank you, everybody listening. Have a great day.